Good morning, and welcome to Diversions. Another great day here in the western slope of Colorado. My name is Mark Catlin, and I'll be your host here on KUBC 580 AM. You know, let's talk about the people that keep us on the air. Producers Co-op here in the Uncompahgre Valley in Montrose and Olathe, they've got the fuel, fertilizer, feed, seed, tires, gloves, shovels, whatever it is it takes for you to run that operation you got, they've got it. All you got to do is walk through the front door, and the first thing they'll ask you is, can I help you? And they mean it. They'll help you find what you're looking for. They'll help you get what you need for your operation. They'll load it in your pickup, or they'll bring it to your place, no matter how big it is or how little. If you're farming in the backyard of your place, they've got what you need. If you're farming from the bottom of the valley to the top of the mountain, they've got you covered. They are good people taking care of a great place here in the Uncompahgre Valley. Go by and say hello to Producers Co-op. You know where they are. Main Street here in Montrose and Olathe Booth. <coughs> Turner Automotive. They've been sponsoring us ever since we got started on this radio show, and believe me, they are the best General Motors dealer, Chevrolet dealer, and Toyota dealer that I've ever dealt with. Ron, Ross Turner and his people can really find you an automobile that you want to buy. Rather than sell you one, they'll help you buy it. That's a big distinction in this day and age. You know, I know I've been to some places over on the front range. All they want to do is sell you something. They don't care if you come back or not. Ross Turner and his crew, they will help you buy a car. And if you need service after you've purchased an automobile, or if you've got an automobile that needs service, they're the people that will help you take care of it. Those guys back in the back of that, of that dealership really do know what they're doing. They take good care of you. They've taken great care of me. Believe me, if you need automotive services, go by and see Ross Turner and his crew at Turner Automotive here in Montrose. Leadership Circle, we talk about them nearly every week. They've created that shopping center south of Montrose and helped us become the shopping center for the western slope of Colorado. They've done a lot of nice things in the state, in the state of Colorado. They've learned a lot. They brought it right home to Montrose in their hometown and put it here around the edges of town. If you need a place to build a new house, they're the people to go take a look. Drive around, take a look at some of these developments. They put a lot of nice things into this community. Go by and say, go by and take a look, really. Mesa Storage has been storing my treasures ever since I realized they were treasures. Ron and Pam Brown are friends of mine. They'll be friends of yours. They've got a fenced, lighted yard that's open every day from dawn until dusk. Doesn't matter, that way you can get to your treasures. You know, what's the point in storing them if you can't get to them? Ron and Pam Brown, good neighbors, good friends, good patriots. If you need a place to store your treasures, Mesa Storage is the place to go, right at the bottom of Spring Creek Hill on Spring Creek Road. Believe me, they will take as good a care of your things as they take care of their things. And that's a big deal in this day and age. They're honorable people. Go by and say hello. Scott's Printing's been sponsoring this show since we started to go to an hour, and that's been quite a while ago now. But Scott's Printing has helped me build put on paper and, and to project an image that I wanted to present. He's printed everything I've ever asked them to print. From a banner across Main Street to a bug on an apple, they've been the people that have, I've gone to for printing. I've sent a number of my friends to their place. They really do a great job with printing. They're on time, they're on budget, and they sit with you and help you present the image that you want. You don't have to use your mouse and click around and ask, what can I put on? They show you, and they'll help you. Scott's Printing, really professional people. And that's a high compliment in this day and age, professionalism. Well, I'm kind of running a little slow this morning. I just got home last night from Denver, and uh, it's been a long siege over there, so to speak. The end of the general session of, of the general legislature of the state of Colorado. So I thought today what we might do is we might take a quick look back over this session and, uh, you know, talk about it a little bit. People are asking me a lot of questions about what happened, what we saw, what we did, those kind of things. So I thought this morning I would bring somebody into the office here that we could talk to about what happened over there and what he thought was um, what he saw and what he was interested in and what his impressions were. He's a friend of this show. He's been here a number of times. But today, he's coming as the senator from the 6th District of Colorado. He's my senator, your senator, too. You know who he is. He's Don Corum, but he's probably the other thing. 
He's probably the most effective legislator I've ever been around. I didn't realize how much work, how many things, um, where all he was involved. But I can tell you, if you tried to keep up with this guy, you're going to be running. Um, he, he does a lot of things over there, and I, I tell you, I'm proud of you. And welcome to the show, Don Corm. Well, thank you, Mark. It's great to be here, and uh, thank you for being a good uh, colleague to work with over there. And, uh, you know, we, we got some good things done this year. So. <laughs> yeah. There were some pretty good things that, that happened over there. I, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I, I got cold or something. But anyway, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, everybody's teasing me about my habits. So... That was a, um, a wild session there for the last 10 days over there in Denver. It seems like we were neutral a lot of the time in Denver, and then all of a sudden, in the last 10 days, they put it in gear, and we went as hard as we could go. We used every second of the last day. You know, we finally closed the house at, at 12 p.m., and, um, man... There was a lot of things going on. So what was your impression over there? Well, we did that, too. And, and, you know, there was a lot of negotiating going on in the last uh, last couple of days, especially. Um, uh, You know, conference committees going back and forth and and, um, uh, bills that were being held hostage trying to make sure that something else got through. And, uh, you know, it was... um, it was there, but uh, you know we were we were there playing a part in that, trying to get some of these things through. And uh, um, you know, I I didn't. You talked about the workload. I didn't really realize it because I I kind of forget about them after it's done. And yeah. you asked me about a bill, and I can't tell you what it is because uh, <laughs> you asked me a bill number. And you're on well, tell me what it does, and I'll talk about it. But uh, um, I was actually one percent of the legislature, and I did. Uh, 9.98% of the bills that were that were run this year. So <laughs> That's what I said. If I wanted to keep up, I had to run. Yeah, well, you had a pretty good year yourself, my friend. But yeah, it turned out to be pretty good. So tell me, um, what were the, um, what bills do you think we passed to have the most impact on the state of Colorado this in the future? Well, I think there's there's uh, there's three bills that come to mind. I think uh, transportation, which was uh, finally a, a last day um uh, issue. Um, first bill passed. Or pr- first bill. Senate, Senate Bill One is a, <laughs> one of the I think third or fourth from the bottom uh, in, in passing the late. But uh, it took a lot of negotiation on that bill, and uh, and uh, that was uh, I think a huge bill because uh, uh, we are going to put some funding into Colorado. It was uh, it was a bill that uh, was originally Senate Bill One was uh, two Republican. Uh, uh, sponsors, uh, Senator Cook and Senator Baumgartner. And um, uh, then, you know, in the process, uh, there's a couple of groups that come out with going to put on ballot initiatives uh, on transportation also. Specific um, to roads and bridges. Specific yeah. to roads and bridges. And um, uh, Senate Bill 1 was calling for um, uh, bonding for two and a half, three and a half billion dollars. Um, and uh, it was going to be competing with one bill that raises sales tax, one bill that raises uh, gasoline tax, fuel tax. And so you would have three transportation uh, issues coming forward. And uh, I thought that was a pretty heavy lift because the time you read through the first one and halfway through the second one, you're not interested in, in the, the third, third one. one. Right. And, and the third one would be whether or not the state of Colorado could borrow money through the bonding process. Right. And so um, Rachel Zinziger, actually a girl that went to school in Olathe. Local girl, yeah. Local girl, um, uh, came up with an amendment that uh, I felt actually improved the bill. It gave us, I think at that time, it called for $500 million uh, upfront funding for road projects this year. And... um, and then uh, another 150 million next year, and in if the two issues fail this year, then it would be on the ballot in November of next year. Uh, I felt that was a better solution because uh, one, the D's weren't buying into it, uh, the, the the strictly Republican version. Right. Uh, I felt it made a better a better bill out of it, something that could actually pass. So, uh, two unlikely uh, sources. Uh, Senator Owen Hill from uh, Colorado Springs and I uh, 
sided with that amendment, thought it was the best, uh, best, best way to go. And so we put that amendment on. We agreed to that amendment in the Senate. Um, and it it came, then came out of the, the Senate thirty five zero and went over to you guys and and uh, you guys played your games like uh, both chambers do. Yeah. Uh, so it came back at four hundred ninety five million and a little bit of money for lo- uh, local government. Uh, but uh, I, I still think it's a good bill. Uh, we get that four hundred ninety five million dollars this year into road construction plus a hundred another hundred and fifty out of the general fund. That's that's uh, does not include the. Uh, uh, highway user tax funds that come in on top of that. So uh, we're going to we're going to make a mark on transportation. So that 150 million that's that's identified is specifically to pay for the bonding if we if it passes, right? Well, it will pay for the bonding, but we will also be putting some some more. Uh, as I understand, in the side negotiations, we're going to put some more general fund into that just to, just to, between now and November, right? To make it uh, to have some impact on roads and bridges around right. the state of Colorado. One of the things that was concerning to me is that uh, we talked about rural Colorado, talked about rural Colorado. Pretty soon they started not talking about rural Colorado, wanting to put all that money into front-range projects. And I, I think we continue to have some money coming to the rural side. Well, yeah, we, we've, we've got some money. And, and um, you know, it's, um, it's hard to outvote the sidewalk senators. Well, that's true. Um, you know, they... they um, they don't know what a gravel road looks like, and uh, they got a sidewalk in front of their house and and up to their front door. And uh, but uh, you know, we we finally, I think we got some good things. I th- I think I think it's actually a pretty good bill. Uh, Senate Bill Two, uh, the the broadband, right. um, and uh, the companion guy that was involved with that one. Don't yeah, we? the companion bill to that was the uh, level the playing field, and uh, I I think I had talked to you earlier about. Not including that in the trend, in the uh, uh, broadband bill because I thought it would be such a huge heavy lift because, uh, right. but I I don't know I think Senate Bill Two seemed to take the fight out of everybody but CenturyLink and uh, we got total agreement and uh, your bill that you started in the in the Senate I think came out yeah we came out sixty three two so sixty three two and we had thirty five zero in the Senate so when you can get ninety ninety eight percent and uh, I think that's uh, I think that's a huge bonus to Senate Bill 2 because it, it gives these uh, local communities, uh, these small operators um, that are want to want to put in broadband uh, into communities, it gives them the opportunity to play. Um, uh, before it was uh, CenturyLink, the big players had a, a right of first refusal, and so somebody would go out and do a lot of work putting a bid contract together and and get the get the grant and then CenturyLink government says, oh, we'll do it for yeah, that. Yeah, we're going to do it. For we that. just we just not going to use the same stuff. <laughs> yeah, you well, won't get as good service, <coughs> but we're going to get the job. Well, we get the job and we get the you know we get the mm-hmm. opportunity to do it. I think one of the things that I'm feeling is that it seems like broadband happened so long ago that a lot of folks here in in Colorado have forgotten that there is a massive change coming in regards to broadband and putting broadband out here in rural Colorado because of the bill that you ran. Well, I think uh, I think it's an opportunity and uh, uh, for areas to really uh, get in there and compete because I don't think there's anything that you can do that has the capability of creating more jobs and affecting the economy, uh, education, health, than, than uh, sustainable broadband. Well, and having it available to anybody and everybody you know, you don't have to be a big company to have high-speed broadband with this bill that you've, you know, that, that came across and is now going to be signed by the governor here right away. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's one of the things that Western Colorado was really, really had a lot of attention to it. I know DMEA, um, some of the other electric companies, everybody was watching that very closely because it had the most potential at the time it was up, that was the one that everybody was interested in. Yeah, that uh, that bill was a lot of moving pieces around and and getting uh, getting where we need to be, but it was uh, it was a heavy lift, and uh, not everybody was uh, on board to begin with, but uh, ended up getting everybody but CenturyLink, and I understand CenturyLink not uh, not wanting because uh, the funds came from the high cost fund, which is. CenturyLink is basically used as a slush fund to uh, 
uh, provide services into remote areas. Well, most of those areas are already out there, and um, so they uh, they were a little concerned that. Uh, but between uh, Connect America and High Cost Funds, uh, in the last ten twelve years, they've. Uh, collected $980 million in subsidies. So right. So. I understand. I would fight for that, too. I'd want to keep that little bucket. Yeah, I, I would I would <laughs> want to keep that. Well, and the other thing, too, is that it's, you know, a lot of folks were concerned it was going to raise their phone bills on their landlines. I don't see that happening, not to well, the point where they're concerned about it. Well, it, first of all, I can't because uh, they're a public utilities uh, controlled company and they have to go through the PUC and uh, the problem is is they were taking this high cost fund and uh, that we're collecting in this area and maybe not even spending those dollars right. in this area so uh, putting them where the people were yeah and you know of uh, the fact is each and every year there's fewer and fewer landlines and we paid that you pay that fee on uh, on phone. your cell phone or your or your landline so uh, you know it uh, be done for five years and then that fee will go away 2.6 percent so you said you had three of them in mind. What's the third one that you were thinking about? Uh, well, I think another bill that I, I I could come up with a lot more than three that are very important. But uh, the school safe bill that you were a partner with me on, I think, was a, a huge bill. Um, putting interoperable radio communication into the classrooms yeah. uh, where the teacher, the janitor, uh, where if there is an event in a school um they're dealing in direct communication with the first responders. Uh, they actually become the first responder. Well, yeah, they're right there. That's what this one is going to do is that it, it allows everybody in the school to have a radio that if an event starts to happen, they can, they can let, notify the office and, auto, and automatically those radios connect with the first responders so that they have real time from the people that are in the event. Because 911, when an event starts, it just gets flooded with moms and dads and kids and everybody calling out and calling in, and they and they can't get real time information. Right. This should res- this should speed up response in every school district by minutes rather than you know because minutes count minutes count as far as the number of people that are injured or are killed. Yeah, and you know, Mark, this was uh, this was a bill that I was actually presenting as the Parkland shooting in Florida was going on. And as you recall, as we knew later, uh, this person pulled the fire alarm and let the people, the children, come to him. Right. Uh, and then just laid down his weapon and walked out with them. Yeah, that was, um, you know, I mean, we're still suffering the repercussions from that because everybody's still so so tremendously concerned and, and rightfully so. I, I, this this bill, I think, will really have. We won't know when it works, because it's just going to be something that lives are saved, and nobody's going to really understand why. But one of the reasons will be because of those radios that are in the hands of teachers, and like you say, janitors and principals. Right, and that's that you school. know that's a five-year program. Right. Uh, you know, five million dollars a year for five years and, uh, and and the way that works is the school districts will apply for a grant to help them get those radios and, and the interface between um, between first responders and the school district so it should work um, I think that one's going to work yeah it uh, I, I think it will uh, I think the vice principal of Montrose High School uh, came over and, and testified that on there yeah he was there that day yeah so um, uh, it was it was good it actually started in Durango uh, when I met with the first responders in Durango. And, and frankly, the southwest corner of the state has certainly been forgot about as far <laughs> as a lot of these programs because uh, another bill that I was going to run, I actually never ended up having to run, uh, was putting the uh, communication towers for the first responders out there. A um, uh, few years ago, they had $100 million to go in and put all these towers in sort of the state patrol and... and uh, sheriffs and and uh, but they ran out of money before they got to southwest colorado so i uh, actually crafted a bill uh this year um and uh, uh that was the leverage that it need that we needed to go ahead and get the funding put in place uh so that will be coming um and one of the big deals is a new zone controller is coming actually it's going to be for the region is going to be in montrose so what's a zone controller 
Uh, the zone controller is where all the, the, the radio signals come into, and it's, it's like a big trunk. Okay. And they didn't have space in southwest Colorado for any more activity. So this Montrose uh, trunk will actually be handling all of those calls. Wow! And that'll be up and that'll be up and done this this summer. Well, there's another one right there. So you know, I, I one of the things that everybody's talking about, or I've had a lot of people talk to me about, is education. The education bill that went through at budget time, I think, is going to do some good. You know, in regards to 35 million dollars being put into the schools. And, um, you know, helping with uh, the backfill and all of those things that the education system in Colorado is incredibly complex and uh, it's hard to satisfy people with anything that we do. But that one I'm proud of. It also put another $30 million into rural schools, too. So that's, I think we're going to see some, some benefits come to rural Colorado. Yeah, that was, uh, that $30 million was a, was a budget process that... Uh that uh, I supported uh, was a sponsor on it. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. That was the one that will bring those increased funding to the rural schools. I mean, they're the ones that have kind of been left out. Uh, people seem to be worried more about downtown Denver than they are about Montrose or, or Cortez or all those places. And this is one that I think people will know right away that it, it's there. Well, it certainly will make a difference. And, uh, you know, Colorado's... Um, system of of uh, funding schools is a little different than than other states and uh, you'll you'll hear that we're 48th uh you know in funding for schools but we're actually pretty much in the middle we're around 30 31 yeah. um maybe even a little better than that after this funding i think we yeah, end I, up about 25th which is you know i mean we're making progress and you know one of the things that i keep hearing from people is that we have to pay our teachers more and i would agree but that's not a function of the state. That's a function of the school boards, is how much they pay. And uh, they wanted that to be a state issue, when really it's a local issue. Absolutely, and, and it should be uh, a local issue. I think any time that you can bring those kind of decisions to the, the local level, uh, that's where they belong. And uh, try to pick that, that key and one slot fits the whole state uh, certainly do doesn't it. work. No. no. Well, you know, out here in, in, in western Colorado particularly, we don't, uh, there are counties that three-quarters of the county are owned by the federal government. So their tax base is not nearly high enough to do all of the things that, it, that people think they should be doing. Well, I think uh, we're at like 72%. Um, right. Uh, Hinsdale County, I think, is 96 or 97. 97, yeah. In there somewhere. So there's not much... Uh, not, not much tax base, but, uh, you know, the, the PILT, the payment in lieu of taxes, um, is not as good as normal taxes. No. The government doesn't pay their fair share. No, they don't like but, to pay rent. That's but sure. they don't want to pay rent. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of that goes back into school funding also. So Well, that's uh, one of the things that it, it became clear to me that a lot of the counties, PILT funds, they wait for that PILT fund because they put a lot of that back into their education in those local communities. Yeah, Montrose County has done a great job of that. Well, Del Del Dolores County, Dove Creek, all of them, that's yeah. the way they do a lot of their financing. Yep, it's, um, they take care of it, they, yeah, they, 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 and do. they do a good job. You know, I was wondering, too, about, um, well, we, we talk an awful lot about uh, wild parks and wildlife and, uh, you know, conservation and those kind of things. Parks and wildlife got some real good attention this year, and I think the bill that came out for them is something that's going to carry them forward rather than always worrying about how we'll be able to pay for things. Well, and that's a bill that I worked on for a couple of years. You know that that's been that one's been two years in the making and uh, a lot of uh, head scratching and and uh, eye rubbing going on uh, trying to figure out uh, how to find that sweet spot uh, that we could get uh, the the sidewalk senators uh, to, to go along with it. Right. Yeah. Well, in our urban cousins, they don't seem to think, well, it's beautiful. You don't have to pay anything to keep it beautiful. Well, they need to understand there are a couple of things, and one was the zebra mussel and the quagga mussel. They're now going to be at least have some funding to where we can go about trying to protect the state of Colorado from the infestation of those. And they are, they are, they're so small, people think there's not a problem. 
but they're so fast growing, they can change agriculture, they can change water, they can do everything because they can grow. The outlet works of a dam completely shut or completely wide open because they grow that fast. That's true, and the only way you get rid of them is mechanically scraping them off. Right. Scuba yeah. divers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I was just reading uh, an article this week. Uh, Texas is in serious trouble over that. Uh, they're spending millions and millions and millions. Well, you know, those, those invasive <laughs> species will change water and the cost of water more than anything else that's ever happened when they start to be in when they be, get to be in in the equation of what costs for water are you it's incredible how much more it will raise the price of just drinking water let alone ag water well you you look at the at uh, tri county or uh, the montrose system um, if that got into that system and the only way you do that is you got to go in and replace all those lines right well, and the other thing is I read some articles about some of those in, in, in the rivers that, they're, uh, that they've infested. That's all that's there. They up all of the, all of the habitat. The fish have to move on because there's nothing left to eat. Um, well, you know, it, ch- it changes the world as we know it. I was looking at, I think it was a three-inch pipe. I'm not sure, but it was a three-inch pipe that had been in Lake Mead for 14 months. And it was closed down to the opening was about an inch. Right, I, I saw that one too, and it was just. And those things are like barnacles. They are. You know, they're just tiny barnacles to where they just. And and once they attach like that, then they die. The next ones come along, and they just keep building to where. Yeah. If you've never seen that demonstration pipe, it's hard to believe that they can do that that quickly, because you know three inch pipe is pretty good sized pipe, but to get neck down to an inch within fourteen months tells you that these guys are going to be serious about it. And tell me, it tells me in another six months it's totally going to That's be. That's right, and then you've got a serious problem. Yeah, it's close. Because, you know, even in a, in a drought year like we're in right now, being able to operate that the, the slide gates on the, on the outlets of a, of a reservoir are a big deal. You know, when you can meet demand, you open it. When you don't have demand, you close it. If those guys are attached to it, it's either right where it's at. That's all it's going to do. Yeah, it's, it's rather ironic that... Uh, the people who complained about the most are the ones uh, that will benefit the most from it. Yeah, that's And true. that's the metropolitan area. So uh, I actually, in a tongue-in-cheek moment, uh, uh, drafted an amendment that on all Trans Mountain Diversions, we have a zebra mussel injection program that... Uh, Sends uh, it to them. Uh, you know, they can use it for decorations. They can uh, yeah. try to make a food source out of it. But uh, yeah, it was a little tongue-in-cheek. But uh, <coughs> Well, you said on ag in the Senate, and... Um, I was surprised this year there weren't more bills that really dealt with agriculture. Agriculture, water, those kind of things. It seemed like everybody's attention seemed to be pointed at uh, transportation, education, all those kind of things. Public health. You know, public health is one of those that uh, we'll get to in just a minute. But I wanted to talk about your ag committee over there in the Senate. Did you... You know, it seemed like it was not as busy a committee. As yeah, it was I a it was a it, it was a um, a committee that was not as busy. Um, you know, it uh, I served on judiciary also, and that seemed to make up for it. So oh, yeah, but uh, Senator Gardner, Bob Gardner's uh, the chairman of that, and uh, Bob Bob ran as many pieces of legislation as I did too. So uh, yeah, his uh, name was on a lot uh, of those bills. He's an organized fool, and we. Uh, we knocked those uh, out pretty fast there, and uh, you know, and that's one of the bills that probably uh, made a lot of uh, noise back early, and that's the uh, the uh, Civil Rights Commission. Yeah, uh, and um, so that was a. Uh, I think that was something was probably could have turned very political, but uh, I think in the long run we we worked it out. Uh, well, you know, I think that's one of the things you might take us into the details on that a little, because there was a lot of animosity in the in the house, and uh, a lot of people were feeling like we didn't want a civil rights commission. Rather than that's not the question. The question was how is it formed, right? And who's appointed to it, and how do they get appointed, so that we got because they have some judiciary responsibilities, and none of them are lawyers usually. Right. Uh, it was a, a situation that um, 
uh, I think started with the Joint Budget Committee when they they didn't put a, a, a bill forward. And so the rumor out there is, well, they're going to kill the Civil Rights Commission. Right. Well, it's never going to be there. That anymore. was never there. And, and uh, so it was uh, in, in the budget process. Uh, I actually put on an amendment that, yes, we are going to fund it. Now this bill coming up next week uh, after the budget is is how we're going to use those funds. And um, so it came down to the last minute in uh, negotiating. It um, came through um, with pretty large support. Yeah, and it's, you know, it was, um, there were questions from, you know, on a partisan basis, how is it going to be done? We want to make some changes in that. But the answer is, we do have a civil rights commission. People's rights are still going to be protected. And if there are civil rights issues, the state of Colorado stands ready to hear them and will be able to take action on them. So I think there were some people that were really concerned about whether or not we were even going to have one. And I don't think anybody in the legislature was in favor of not having it. Well, I don't think that was ever the question. And it's, uh, you know, trying to determine uh, as you're making the sausage of of what the flavor is going to be. True. But um, as it turned out, I think there was, uh, I know Senator Gardner wasn't happy. He wanted he wanted a 60% approval by the Senate um, on the members, but no other commission in the state uh, operates on that. They're all a simple majority. And and um, uh, so I, I think, I you know, I'm fine with the, uh, with the bill as it came out. <coughs> We, uh, we talked a little bit about public health. I'm set on the public health committee, and boy, there are lots of things came through there this year. One thing that I was that I was impressed about is mental health has become a very major item for the legislator in the state of Colorado. People know that the mental health of of our citizens is of critical importance. You know, I like the idea that we are trying to move more dollars and more programs to helping people with mental health issues. And I know that you've been involved with that. Well, and, and mental health issues are a major contributor to our prison population. True. Um, and we're not getting the treatment into those um, areas that we, we need. Uh, you know, there's situations where uh, they uh, want to put... Uh, funding into where the local, they can tr be treated at the local jail uh, rather than ship them. Because, frankly, we don't have enough beds. No, we don't. We don't have enough beds to send them to. And, and I know, talking to your uh, your good friend down in Cortez, Steve Nellon, the sheriff, um, uh, when they have someone that's in a, in a mental health hold, um, you know, 72 hours is, is all they can keep them in the hospital, and then they have to be released or sent to a... To another a facility, facility. Yeah. and I think the closest one for them that's that's actually has any spaces in Littleton. So you know when you're you're traveling three fourths away across the state, it's a huge issue. Well, and I do. You know the other thing that um, it, that's of concern to me is is the suicide rate in in our rural communities. It's really much higher than it should be. There's there's problems out here, and we need to move towards figuring out how we can do something. To help to, to, to find the people that are on that spiral, and rather than letting them f spiral all the way down to to the end, you just couldn't let that one sit there, could you? You know, you know, I started a pretty major war in Denver <laughs> I last. I know that. All right, I, is that where you're going with this? No, it's uh, not where I'm going. Okay. I wanted to rec I wanted to recognize the fact that you've been leading the charge in regards to helping with this suicide avalanche that's just taking over a lot of our little communities you know because of your compassion because of your concern because of you know that's important and you know i think that's something people don't recognize from a rural legislator that we are the ones a lot of times that see it more than an individual in the sidewalk senators because their districts are so different and and i can't remember the exact numbers but i think i was looking at mesa county the 2016 numbers, I believe they had 368 suicides in Mesa County. See? More than one a day. I mean, that's 
that's too many. Yeah, that's too many. And you know, the 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 teen suicide thing is is the thing that caused the big blow up. That uh, I made a comment that pr- out of frustration and <laughs> and anger that someone took the wrong way and and uh, became a big story. But uh, uh, Channel Nine came to my rescue. Um, and my uh, my Democrat colleagues in the Friends, because I was I was sent out an attack letter by a, a little Democrat hacker. I guess he's from D.C. I don't know where he's from, but um, calling for my ouster for my insensitive com- uh, comment that uh, suggested that I was supporting teen suicide. And uh, but uh, I didn't have to fight that battle. My friends picked that up and uh, and uh, had a lot of support. And well, uh, and you know, I, I I thought you know people came to me with that item and I said, boy, you guys don't know Don Corm very well. He just stung somebody with that comment. It didn't mean anything except for the person he said it to. Well, I was receiving a lecture by the chairman of the State Affairs Committee that uh, uh, teen suicide is not an issue for the state to be looking at. This is, moms should be taking care of this. And that didn't go well. And uh, no, so I knew I knew the bill was dead, and I I probably shouldn't have said it. But uh, uh, if you know, uh, when I have a passion for something, I I don't let uh, I don't back down. No, and you know let's let's move forward a little bit in regards to the opioid crisis. We spent a lot of time and effort this year in the House of Representatives trying to address the opioid crisis, particularly the people that are now addicted. Um, and, you know, I, I appreciate the, the efforts that we've done. But one thing that worries me is that we will take the, the attitude of the opioid crisis and, and superimpose it over our mental health system because the folks that have an organic problem with mental health, whether it's depression or whatever, they go to these facilities to get some help. If we are going to bulldoze our way in with opioid crisis, I'm afraid that that's all we're going to deal with is the opioid crisis rather than the people that are actually needing a hand, somebody to talk to with talk therapy or, you know, whatever it is that they use. And I I want to be careful about that because, granted, this opioid thing is a big deal. But maybe we keep them in separate silos or we recognize who's doing the work because we're shorthanded in mental health already. Absolutely. And, and you know, we have our local uh, mental health center here that's doing a great job. But, they are uh, good. Um, uh, I think they're actually one of the rare ones around the state that's actually out there doing doing the job. They're somehow managing their funds to, to, uh, to do it right where some of the other communities out in uh, – in the urban, they're not even getting the resources to work with. They don't have the staff. They don't. They don't have anything. And uh, um, so, what they do is they try to ship them off somewhere else. Yeah, ship them somewhere. Well, you know, I, there was a bill that came through right at the very end, Senate Bill 270, about um, if you got if you if we're taking people into these 72-hour holds to whether so we can find out what's the problem they're having. And rather than just putting them back out on the street, is being able to maybe get some wraparound services so that we can move them into facilities or into a place where they can get some help and some treatment rather than just be put back in to that environment that brought them to that, to that terrible space. Right, and I, and I think that's important. And, and frankly, um, I think uh, had we not had this major war that actually made national news over the the suicide uh, prevention. I think that bill would have died too. I think you're probably right, but it did go ahead and pass. Yeah, it uh, it came through, and we're uh, uh, Beth Humanic um, and Nancy Todd. I think carried that through, and I was in full full support of that uh, all the way. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of these bills get carried by people that you wouldn't expect to be carrying them. You know the. They, they don't specialize in that kind of thing, and all of a sudden they come carrying a bill, and it's a good one. Uh, you know, and it, it did move through. It came through the House, and I know it went through the Senate. Right. So, uh, you know, and, and um, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't are not aware of is that every bill that passes pretty much has to have bipartisan support because it needs a sponsor that's a Republican and a Democrat so that you can bring both parties 
to the conversation. Well, you can you can do it without the without the sponsor, but uh, with eighteen Republicans and uh, what are your thirty? Oh, we're twenty nine. Twenty nine uh, in the House. Um, you can't do it. You, you, every bill is a bipartisan bill. It has to be, and yeah. uh, you know I think that's one of the things I hear a lot of people ask me. Well, do you cooperate with the other side? And, well, yeah. You know, if I want to pass the legislation, I got to have the Democrats to help. Absolutely. Because you know, it takes like you told me. You know, I got a quick lesson in thirty-three, eighteen, and one. I got to have thirteen, uh, thirty-three votes in the House of Representatives for it to move to the Senate, and then to pass, it's got to have eighteen there. Then you got to have the governor sign it. So, yep. you know, those those three numbers are important to me. It's the most important math you will learn in the legislature is, and and you know, you've done a great job, Mark. Uh, uh, you came in last year with that four day notice and my great training program that I that's true that I gave you. You know, um, uh, it didn't even tell you where all the bathrooms were, but uh, I figured you would find them. Yeah. But uh, you've done a great job of building those relationships. Uh, of knowing who you can trust uh, because the whole operation over there is built on integrity and trust and if you ever violate that you're done I believe that uh, you know I'm, I'm it, it is it's a people business that's the first thing you got to do is be able to you know trust people they trust me I trust them um, relationship building is probably the first thing that any legislator needs to focus on you know, we, we get there and we think, okay, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to run all these bills. I'm going and all of a sudden, somebody in legislative council says, "Oh, uh, Mr. Catlin, that would be unconstitutional." <laughs> you know, you right? Think, oh, I better go back to my office and rethink that. But it's the people that are helping me. You know, the other legislators in my party and in the Democrat Party, we've uh, we've gotten along well. We've done some good things. But you've got people over there that um, that never passed a bill this year. Yeah, that's true. You know, they never got a single thing done because they came in with these blinders that they're there to throw grenades. Um, and, you know, no is not a solution. Not most of the time. No. Um, you know, it's it's all a matter of negotiations and, and trying to figure out where that sweet spot is. And some of them, frankly, they just need to die. Some and business. those do. Yes, they do. Um, a split house, um, is, a split is a body, it, gar- it guarantees that those are going to die. And that's a good protection for the state of Colorado because sometimes things get on a run and they, and they just run through one house or the other. And you realize, oh, well, this is not going to work. And, uh, you know, if it gets to the Senate and they recognize this is not going to be a good piece of legislation. For example, on... Uh, you know, red flag bills and those kind of things. They had a lot of people concerned about it, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, I was a no because I I liked the idea of dealing with the individual as a, as a mental health issue better than just going in there and taking his guns and, and interfering with that Second Amendment, right? But there's something that has to be done here about the people that are causing those terrible incidents. Right. I think I think the fact is that the bill probably came out late. Um, uh, if we're going to deal, and once again, this is going back to mental health issues. Right. Uh, you know, if you look at all the 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 major uh, shootings, they've all been mental health issues, and so I think it's up to us to come up to with a solution uh, where we have the guardrails on that uh, that we do look at that and say, you know, that person is not only a danger to himself, he's in danger to others, uh, without affecting the average citizen. Um, right. Well, you so, know, you know, it's, it's something I'm sure will come along. Um, well, it's, it's there. It's on the agenda. There are a lot of people wanting to talk about it. It did get talked about in the state of Colorado. That piece of legislation was not the right one, and it died when it got to the Senate. It did generate some conversations. We had um, vigorous debate, debate in the House of Representatives about the idea of how can we reach into an individual's world, somebody that knows him, and say, this guy needs some help, or he's dangerous, or those kind of things. We can do that right 
now. A mom, if she sees her child is having a struggle, she can go and get the help and tell people, this guy's got a problem. They, we can take them out of society for that 72 hours and take a look at them and not have to go through the house and take all the weapons and do all those kind of things. I think that one was a, a step too far this year because um, the right to bear arms is a big deal. To yeah, Second Amendment was very important. Um, I think basically probably 96 out of the 100 over there would actually agree with that. It's uh, what degree do they think is important is the difference. But, um, you know, it's something we have to address. Uh, you, you said it died in the Senate. It actually died in Senate committee. It never came. It never got to the Senate. Never yeah. got to the Senate, so it died in the committee. But uh, it's a conversation that, that I think that uh, we will certainly be having over the summer and uh, try to come up with that sweet spot uh, where we, we protect the Second Amendment, but we also uh, do not allow this mentally uh, deranged person access to do mass destruction. Well, you know, we, we're, we're, we're coming up pretty close to the end of the show. I, I wanted to talk about a couple of other things. <clears throat> One is young farmers, and, uh, you know, the average age of farmers in the state of Colorado is 60 years old now, and the state hasn't done a lot about what are we going to do about succession planning and those kind of things and we've got some young people that think they want to be farmers so you know we um, through um, through the interim study committee this last summer we came up with a bill that um, i believe you're on it too that um, will allow people to be interns or apprentices on a farm mm -hmm. and the state's going to pay half of their wages and the individual that puts them on that farm is going to pay half of it and see if we can start to generate the interest in becoming a farmer. Because the state of Colorado is still ag-based. No matter what people want to tell us, it's still the largest industry in the state. Well, we're, we're probably never going to drop below third. Never. No. no. Uh, so, you know, when you're talking a minimum of 30-year economy, uh, you need to keep that vital. I think one of the things that we need to look at, and it's not us as the legislature, but federally, uh, the banking laws have to change. Because frankly, right now, uh, if a farmer can get a loan, he probably really doesn't need it. Yeah, that's the ones that are being offered loans, correct? Yeah. You know, I uh, I, I think we, we you're, you've hit a, a spot with me that I agree with. And the other thing is, is that it's hard to be able in this day and age, you know, our farm commodities are not a very high priced right now. The farm commodities kept this country from going into a depression, in my opinion. During the worst times of the recession, it was agriculture that we were selling out in the world that kept us, you know, motivating. Now we're back, the economy's booming and ag is taking a nosedive and a lot of these guys are concerned. Ag prices have fallen in the last three years more than they fell in the Great Depression, percentage-wise. And um, it's, it's pretty spooky. There's a lot of guys that are concerned about whether or not they're going to be farming in the next two years. Oh, I think that's exactly right. And, uh, and the problem is that those guys are 68 years old or 70 years old right now, and they say, I don't see a future here, so um, uh, let's plant houses. Well, and the other thing is... That our number one export out of rural Colorado is our kids. We ship them off to get educated. They can't afford to come back. So, you know, that's one of the things we need to be thinking about is how we're going to be able to do those kind of things. And not about subsidies and those kind of things, but just what's it going to take to keep agriculture viable in the state of Colorado on a level that you and I or most of the community are comfortable with? If we don't, we're going to end up being corporate ag in most of the state of Colorado. And I'm not talking about family corporations. I'm talking about serious major league corporations coming in, buying these farms. And uh, if they don't make money on this crop, they'll make money on the other crop, but they still have the land, the water, and all the things that go with it. And those assets, they will decide what they should do with them at a later date. And they will buy the farm from the bank. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and we're talking about people's, you know, m my friends and farmers out here around the community, you know, that's their 401k. 
I don't suggest that we step into their 401k and say, no, you can't sell it because we love it. We can't love it and not and say to them, well, you can't sell it. And we're bumping into that problem in a lot of communities in rural Colorado. You know, we want you to keep it at a farm, but we don't care if you don't make a living at it, but you have to keep it a farm. That won't work. So I had a guy several years ago tell me that we needed a law that says a farmer can only sell to a farmer. <laughs> and I said, so uh, you've got a 401k, you're a retired electrical worker. Um, where do I get a piece of that? Right. So if I can only sell to a farmer, what are we going to do now? Yeah, the, the, that farmer's 401k is his farm. That's exactly right. And, you know, I... Th- I think that's one of the things that we have to do, those of us from rural Colorado, from the ag community, that we need to remind our, I like that term, the sidewalk senators and our urban cousins, that yeah, agriculture's out there at the edge of town quietly doing its job. Every year it raises a crop. But what happens when that guy decides, nope, I don't want to do that? I need to do something different. I need to put my kids in college. I need to. I can't go on. My health has failed. And without a healthy farm economy, um, he may not even be able to make that choice. That choice will be made for him. That's true. He may decide to line up his equipment and hope that it can be sold. Because if ag com- economy is not good, there's nobody to buy your equipment, nobody to buy the farm to farm it, and so it becomes part of town. And we're suffering from that in a lot of communities on Western Colorado right now. People are moving to suburbia, and they're counted as rural, but they're just city people living in the country is what that's really about. That, that's exactly right. They're commuting into a, a well, job they, yeah. in the city. And they want, to, they want that view, and that's really what all they really want is and the they view. want to say they're a farmer. Yeah, three-acre piece of ground. Listen, I uh, need to wrap up here pretty quick. I want to remind people... Diversions does have a website, and I'm inviting you to go take a look, like us, or follow us on the Internet. It's at diversionsradio.com. You can listen to us through diversionsradio.com and watch for articles of interest on our site as well. I have a webmaster. My boy is my webmaster, and he's uh, doing a great job. I think if you go by and take a look at it, you'll enjoy that. And, uh, you know, it, it does have a lot of information on it. If you want to uh, come and meet and greet with me, you can come to San Miguel County um, up in Telluride. They're hosting a meet and greet at the Placerville School Tuesday, May 15th from 4.30 to 7. Um, You know, I think both of us might be there. I'm hoping. But anyway, I want to say another thing real quickly. If you see Don Corm out on the road today, say happy birthday to him. He needs somebody to spark his life up a little bit. Happy birthday, Don Corn. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. <laughs> and happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have my mom, and uh, I just want you to know, Mom, I love you. And Carrie, I love you too. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to Diana. I want to remind you that Americans are extraordinary people. Stand firm. Stand strong. We are the leader of the world. Use the rights that you've been given by the great creator, not by another man. Today would be a great day to stand for the rights that you've been given. This is a very special place in this world. The reason is because America is the leader. Stand firm. Stand strong. God bless. Happy Mother's Day. Good day. And I had seven phone calls in that time.